Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Hi, Stella. Hello, Sasha. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I see you're you're hitting the the rock chick look. <laughs> yeah, I have a new a new hairdo, and I'm sure uh, Benjamin Boyce will comment about it because he's always joking about how my hair is different in every single <laughs> video on the internet. So it's yeah, a whole a whole new look. It's very, very yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it is very freeing and fun to have shorter yeah. hair and bangs. But I feel I feel the need to press I don't know some music. I think you need some headbanging. <laughs> Maybe we'll include a little our, our producer can throw in a little rock metal slash whatever music. <laughs> well, we're revisiting the holidays today. Yeah. Because this is uh, an interesting time. It can be a beautiful time. It can be a tiring time. So um, before we jump in, what are you guys doing for the holidays this year? Well, you know, in Ireland, you know, Thanksgiving comes and goes. Never. I, I, we have a, a, a stepmother who is American and she used to have these Thanksgiving dinners and we'd all kind of knock up, kind of go, what is this? What are we doing? We'd always have yeah. pumpkin pie or something. Where, and it'd be like, oh, like it was very much like trying to do as the natives do. But no, it's a non-event in Ireland. Okay. Doesn't well, what about like Christmas? That. What are your Christmas plans? Oh, yeah. Christmas is a mega big deal in our family. And um, I reckon we'll be staying home this year and Henry will be cooking and we'll be eating. I'll be the... I'll be the eater. We're big into films and stuff like that, just not doing very much. Maybe yeah. going to a few trad sessions, take it nice and handy. I like oh, Christmas. That's so cool. Yeah. I like it seems like a very easy time of year for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I take a yeah. lot of time off work. I take a lot of like back off from work, you know, which is nice, you know. What yeah. are you doing for Thanksgiving? Well, I mean, this is the first year in our new house, so my fiancé and I are going to be hosting Thanksgiving. Um, my sister's coming in town, and we'll have his family over as well. So that'll be really exciting, and we're doing, like, a turkey, and we're doing a brisket, and we're doing a bunch of pies, and some will be homemade, and some will be store-bought like very much the cusp millennials that we are. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited because it'll be our first year doing a celebration at this house that we're hosting. So I'm really looking forward to it. And Christmas will be traveling to go see my mom's side of the family and uh, bringing our cat with us as we typically do. So that will be fun. And we're just hoping for smooth air travel. Yeah, because it can be crazier on the holidays, as um, everyone knows. You know this Thanksgiving? Yeah. Basically just just all meet each other and have a meal. It's kind of like Christmas. Is there anything? Yeah, else I mean, happens? no, there's just kind of traditional food that happens. And of course, there's like the historical significance, which I've come to 
be told that a lot of it is BS and lore, right? Like with the whole pilgrims and Native Americans coming together for a meal. Like I'm sure some of that is totally fabricated. But the tradition is, you know, turkey, cranberry sauce, stuffing. Like there's all these traditional American foods that go along with it. But given, you know, my family being Egyptian, we've always put like a different spin on the holiday festivities so we typically will have like a bunch of egyptian food as like our normal thanksgiving and there'll be a turkey but we don't stuff it with bread stuffing we make like a rice stuffing with like rice and nuts and garlic and all these flavors so we kind of have hybridized a lot of the american traditional things and then brisket is not egyptian at all but like we're doing brisket this year so you know these traditions evolve in our family at least but for Americans Thanksgiving is yeah usually like just tons of eating and then being really sleepy after and napping and I think there's some sports stuff going on around Thanksgiving we're not a big sports family so I could be wrong I'm sure we'll get corrected I know that that from from American TV that there's all sorts of sports things so yeah if you don't know what I know (laughs) there's some big game or something um what did you think of Thanksgiving as a teenager Well, I mean, I I love the food. We have some amazing cooks in my family, particularly my grandmother. So like I've always really loved it and I haven't really gotten too wrapped up in, you know, like the, the ritual and the tradition and the history and the significance and meaning. Like I never really made the connection. Our family was just all about the food. So <laughs> I've always loved it. I mean, it's yeah, nice. just fun to eat amazing food and you know, have everybody together and play games and things like that. So yeah, I'm excited about it. Cute. Thanks. I think so. And, you know, I'm aware, obviously, from working with so many families that it is not always easy to have the holidays when you have a kid who's going through a lot of mental health problems, trans identification. And we we just kind of wanted to um, start off by reminding our listeners that we have done a holiday episode before episode 50. And I'm going to kind of outline some of the things we talked about then. And then today you and I have some totally new topics that we haven't addressed before to cover that, that are relevant to the holidays. So in episode 50, some of the things we cover include like what happens if you haven't seen your family in a long time and your child has a totally new look now, and you may feel the pressure to explain this to your relatives or you're worried about the kind of questions you guys might get. And we talked about just kind of like strategies for parents to take the pressure off of themselves with like, everything has to be perfect. And we have to do this tradition that we've always done. And, you know, you raised such a good point about just take the pressure off. You don't have to do the things that you typically do. Um, We talked about the way phones and peer identification impacts young people. So having the holidays together is an opportunity to kind of get away from those influences, have a little, you know, low screen time for everybody in the family so you can just be together. And, um, you know, we also talked about the difficulty if you have a young adult child who's kind of estranged right now, and maybe they're not coming home for the holidays. And they're like, no, I'm going to do my own thing this year. And we just kind of thought about that a little bit together. So um, today we have some some things to add on, I guess. Mm. We get a lot of, I think both of us, and uh, quite often, more often than people might guess, 
of emails that are fretting about the impending visit home. Yeah. And um, often parents like tie themselves in knots waiting for the visit and, uh, you know, kind of semi planning the visit and fretting about whether maybe there's a trans identified partner with them. What should they say? Should they confront? Should they not? They're only going to have 48 hours together. Should it be spent bonding? Should it be sent with an inter- spent doing an intervention? This It can be so heavy. You know, this yeah. visit can be so heavy for some people, especially when the adult child arrives home and they think, this is it. I have been waiting for this visit for months and now they've arrived. And obviously the tension is almost unbearable. And it can be very, very hard to hold that loosely and to remind yourself that this this doesn't have to be the be all and end all. And yet it is an opportunity for parents. We'd be liars to say it isn't. It is an opportunity for parents to to do what they should think they should do. As yeah. 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 I actually just spoke with a, um, a really lovely couple um, who are going to, you know, speak with their daughter during Thanksgiving, just kind of have a big family meeting about a lot of things that are going on within the family, not just her, not to single her out, but it's an opportunity to like connect and share some time together and have some honest conversations about, you know, issues that have come up in the last few years, family dynamics, um, and, you know, concerns that they have. So I totally agree that if if a family feels like they're in a good, strong, relational place with their child, it's valuable to have some honest conversations during the holidays. And I, I guess, you know, something I often find myself saying is it really depends on the context. So if you're the kind of family that every time you see your child, you're arguing about gender, yeah. then maybe the holidays are a time to kind of just put a, a a stop to that dynamic and kind of promise yourself, okay, we're really just going to focus on redirecting towards love, positivity, connection, having good times, making some good memories. On the other hand, if you're the kind of family that maybe you are somewhat conflict avoidant, or maybe just due to the circumstances, you haven't really talked much in an honest way, and you have a good relationship with your child, maybe you try that communication during the holidays, right? So it kind of depends on where you're coming from. Almost like you're David Attenborough or something, like observing the family and you stand back and think, what is needed for this family? Yeah. What is compelling you and driving you forward? Because that's what's needed from you. And that could be anxiety and you need to assuage your anxiety with a deep conversation, which you're not going to get. So it might be what do you need, but what does the family need? What would an observer looking at the family, thinking about the dynamics of the previous year, what each person is kind of where each person is at and what does yeah. this need? And some families would, will need connecting and bonding. Some families will need authenticity and honesty. Some families will need maybe an intervention of some sort or a, a kind of a truth telling conversation. And some will need maybe just a little bit of avoidance because that's actually said soon as mended right now. It'll really depend. But it does take a moral courage to step back. Mm. What does the family need? And you could feel almost irritated hearing me say that because you could think, I know what the family needs and I'm exhausted and I'm sick of giving what the family needs because nobody's ever given to me. I'd be like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, yeah. 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 It's not fair. 
It's cruel. Cruel and baffling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, uh, another aspect of this is like the, the age of the young person. There's so much that depends on that. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit in preparation about a dynamic that I often see, which is, you know, with a younger teen, um, who is expecting the parents to kind of like open the doors for this child to announce their trans identity or to get people on board with their identity. So, you know, we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but you know, you're at a restaurant and the waiter calls your daughter a she, and then your daughter looks at you expecting you to correct the server, you know? And I, I find that when you're in this situation, there's kind of a power struggle going on. And, you know, these are parents who may feel compelled to speak to family on behalf of the child. Maybe the child has said, mom, I expect you to call grandma and grandpa and tell them that I'm a guy now or whatever. And, you know, I would say, I feel strongly that you should not take on the responsibility of this identity on behalf of your child. If anything, you know, you are trying to keep things in perspective in a way that is mature and adult, which is identity exploration is normal. It's okay that you're having these questions, but I'm not going to join you in your up and down roller coaster of identity exploration. I'm an adult. I'm your mother. I see and understand you a certain way. And I'm not going to take on that burden to talk to your grandparents about something that, frankly, you know, your name has changed four times this year. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, so I, I wonder if you have similar thoughts about well, that. Yeah, and I, I would, yeah, I would totally and utterly agree with you there because often it's, it's, it's part of the gender issue is a lack of an ability to, 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 to speak for themselves or advocate for themselves. And the only way they can advocate for themselves is I am a different gender. I'm, I'm just going to say that. And I'm going to say everything else from that is the world has to deal with and I'm not going to do it. And it can be um very kind of a maturing point where the, 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 the parent says, this isn't my mountain. This is your mountain and it will be your mountain forevermore. This is, this is never going to be my mountain. This is yours. Mm -hmm. And just to remind them that that's a difficulty they're imposing upon themselves. And that can be food for thought, you know, I I think it's really, I think the mother's instinct, I shouldn't just say the mother's, but often a mother's instinct, if not a parent's instinct is to pave the way and make things a little bit easier for the kid. I do it myself all the time. You know what I mean? I see a slight unease and I hop in to help my kid feel more at ease and whatever the other person is thinking, I make things better. And I think it's a very feminine instinct, making everybody feel a little bit more at ease. Yeah. Christmas or Thanksgiving onto this and we really every cell in our body is trying to make people feel at ease you know what I mean and you can you know what are the right combination of words that would make everybody feel at ease but at the same time you think this is paving the way for my child in a way that actually probably isn't very good for for the kids maturity or complexity and actually I need to zip it and not pave the way Paving the way isn't necessarily, maybe that's what we do when they're younger, but when they're older, it's not always the best thing to do. It's the instinctive thing to do sometimes, but it's not necessarily what the kid needs. 
Yeah. And as you were talking about that, I was reminded of something that came up at a recent in-person parenting event that we did in Annapolis, Maryland, where we had parents of gender questioning kids and we gave some workshops based on our new book, When Kids Say They're Trans. And one of the interesting conversations that emerged was about um, the way mother and father dynamics play out in these scenarios. And I, I just had a conversation like this also this week with, with a, a couple. And what happens is the mother becomes very invested in researching and she's, you know, listening to podcasts. She's reading everything she can get her hands on. She's getting that PhD in gender that we joke about, right? And in the process, she's come to understand that there are certain sensitive, helpful and not helpful ways you can talk to a kid about this. So she's yeah. got her playbook. Very much so. Manual. And, yeah, her manual. And then dad, who's a little bit on the periphery for a lot of different reasons. Maybe he tries to make a comment to the child about the gender thing. And mom is like, no, 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 you can't say that. You said it wrong or you're going to create alienation or she's going to feel misunderstood or the mom jumps in you know, with all the research she's done to try and explain to dad why he's no, doing it wrong. Says no, <laughs> you need, yeah, yeah. keep going. And, and then, you know, dad becomes a little bit more distant and more withdrawn. And it's like, well, mom's handling it. Obviously there's a right and a wrong way according to mom. And so I'm just going to wait in the wings and maybe I'm going to start golfing a lot more this year. And like dad really becomes more disengaged. Now, obviously that's not always the dynamic. That's not, but this happens a lot. And something that we ended up talking about, which frankly, we hadn't even put this in the book. I hadn't really thought about it deeply until Annapolis, but what, what we ended up coming to, and at least the way I see it is each parent should be given permission to be their authentic self too. Yeah. And if dad has a particular way that he's trying to engage with this topic, he's trying to have a conversation with his child, it should be really thought about carefully before mom jumps in to try and direct how that's done. Even if it creates a bit of conflict or there's some tension or maybe there's some tears or maybe there's a bit of an argument you know, sometimes those moments also break through the kind of walking on eggshells and it can be really authentic Yeah, to be like, dad, I thought you believed me, you know, and maybe dad's like, you know, honey, I don't see you as a guy. I'll never see you as a guy. And even though that can cause a lot of, you know, conflict, it might be a very important thing to say. So I'm just thinking about the holidays and how there's probably a lot of people listening to this who happen to be the more researching and engaged parent. And they're like, okay, give me 10 strategies. And I almost want to say, you know, pass it to your partner. I bet that they can have some valuable interactions if we give them the permission to do so in their own way. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're really hitting on something really important there. I, you know, in many ways, men have been emasculated from the role of fatherhood in the last couple of decades for a wide variety of reasons. And I, I noticed it very starkly when I had babies myself. And, 
you know, really like Henry was demoted to the butler. Like it was unbelievable. Like, get me tea. Get, I'm breastfeeding. <laughs> I am the queen. <laughs> get me the nappies. You know what I mean? And um, it's it's a it's a it's an extraordinary um, powerful role the mother has. Now, if the mother takes on the role of being the expert of gender, and often does, the father who isn't the expert can kind of become like the sidekick. And yet, once in a while, the father will say, I know this kid. I'm going to go in. And it can cause huge tension because expert says no. Expert mother says no. Non-expert father is breaking the rules. And it can cause huge fights and huge tension. And I would be very careful to get in the way of somebody who's decided to go in. I I just kind of think love, you know, conquers an awful lot. Authenticity goes a long way. And sometimes, you know, we forget any of us experts. Well, we don't forget, but we can sometimes lose sight of the fact that we we're only in the middle of the research. We don't actually know. We don't actually know. These brilliant, amazingly informed people. We're still only halfway through this story. We're we're, we're so in the dark that we don't actually know that maybe exactly what the father is saying might be exactly what we turn around and say is a great idea in five years. So yeah. I, I, I do think a lot of tension around holidays can be aunts, uncles, grandpas, grannies saying something and the mother going, oh, my God, stop them now. And I'd be like, I would allow each person to have their own relationship with your child rather than being the snowplow who's kind of clearing the way for the child to be. I would let the difficulties arise and see how things are navigated rather than um, always clearing the way for the kid because I, I just don't think it's necessarily the right thing for them. Do, what about the other direction? I mean, what about families who they're the grandparents or the extended relatives rather than having a very frank conversation with the kid? What if they're pretty affirming of the new gender? Yeah. Do you think it works in the other direction? Like I, I think it depends on the age and a bunch of other things, but this this raises the same question of like, if you are the parent who knows everything now about gender, is it your job to kind of direct and guide all the other relatives about how to engage with your child? It's a really common response to mental health, any mental health, if you love somebody, is to try and control all the pieces. Yeah. Because you know more than everybody else. So you're 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 so busy being in control. And so people can think the worst possible thing is for her to meet her her aunt who will be con- affirming. And people can presume this is the worst possible. And it mightn't be. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not saying that I would. I know if it was my own kid, I would say my own piece to the sister or the brother. And I, I know I would be very protective of my relationship with the kid. I know that. At the same time, I don't think being affirmed by somebody is is definitely going to be such so awful because for all we know, the kid will feel a little bit empty when they get affirmed by that particular aunt. They, they, it mightn't sit the way you presume, presume. They might look like they're thrilled about it, but it mightn't be. Or they, the kid might realise, God, she's going against my mother's wishes in her own home. You know, these children are, are, are not given to light thought. They think a lot. Yeah. So it's not, they won't necessarily miss what's going down. You, you know what I mean? Completely. And if anything, especially with o- older teens, I find that um, 
they will feel uh, like everything is normal with the extended relatives as far as their birth sex goes. And only in certain or peer groups are they identifying this way or whatever. So a lot of times the dynamic is actually that, you know, at home, when mom calls me, she, I give her the dagger eyes and I'm so angry. But when grandma does, I don't even blink an eye. I'm sitting in grandma's lap and we're talking about recipes. So that's actually a very common dynamic. So it's really interesting and it's so painfully unfair to mom, right? But, you know, I do think that there's a lot of fear wrapped up around you know, what is going to happen when this new persona collides with the extended relatives. And frankly, there's no formula, as we often say. No, but there is a kind of, you can open the door to self-forgiveness. I think a lot of parents of teenagers, especially teenagers, but not only teenagers, can be very embarrassed by their kids. They can feel almost a sense of shame. They can feel like this is a reflection of my parenting and it doesn't reflect well. And uh, like parents, we always think we're we're either winning or we're losing, you know, <laughs> we're doing it right or doing it wrong, constantly self-grading, constantly coming up short and realizing where we got it wrong. We got it right. And then we got it wrong. And grade, grade, grade. And the public nature of these holidays can feel like real. This is grade time, if you follow me now, it's, it really matters. We hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. We just wanted to take a quick moment and say thank you to all of our listeners. Your support is the fuel that keeps this train running. So please be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platforms. And do be sure to check out the conversations that are happening on YouTube in the comments section. We think that we have some of the smartest, most engaged viewers out there, and we really appreciate all of the interactions. Also, we produce additional bonus content every week for our listener community on Patreon. Go to widerlenspod.com and click on join our listener community. Your financial support means a lot to us. And for those of you who are in need of parenting support and resources, we each have parent coaching membership groups. So please do check those out. You can find links to both of them at widerlenspod.com or in the show notes. And of course, you can buy our book, When Kids Say They're Trans, out now in the UK and coming out very soon in the US. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. So Stella, you're kind of talking about the way the holidays with like the family photos and getting together at someone's house, like how that kind of puts your family and your child on display. Yeah. And then parents have that kind of fear of scrutiny or judgment. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's almost only once or twice a year that the family gets to look at how each family is doing. So how he is doing. <laughs> so we get, it's like, it's like a massive performative kind of environment. So each, each family is looking at each other's family thinking, oh, they're not doing so well with that kid or, you know what I mean? Things are going, that is really common. Sadly, us parents are very judgy, <laughs> Sasha. And there were, we're, we're kind of, there's a constant self-grading and also looking at other families that happen. And I I really think that we can feel an intense level of shame around our, our, even our children being unhappy and suddenly the whole world knowing it. And you can feel like I failed that the kid isn't happy or I failed Mm. somebody different. I remember uh, one uh, one person I knew and um, her kids had misbehaved, you know, quite badly in front of the whole extended family and, her her uh her father said, 
Now they let themselves down and they let the family down. And it was like devastating oh. to her, you know? Yeah, I bet. It was a devastating kind of feeling of, wow, I've let my family down. You know, my children have left my family down. I think that happens quite intensely around Christmas. I think we feel like it's this is our event to show that we are a good family. And if we're in the middle of a crisis, it feels very difficult to do that. Yeah, and I can only imagine how much harder that is when nobody knows what's going on. You know, so that's really tough. And like you said, you know, your sister or your brother are thinking, all they need to do is affirm. I don't know why they're being so difficult about it. I'll show them how to handle their daughter. They clearly are son. They clearly don't know. And so there can be an ostentatious affirming in front of you while you're just there going, oh, you're just clueless, you know? Yeah. Or the other way around, like, um, how could you let your daughter dress like that? How could you let your son behave this way? You know, so judgment can come in lots of different angles and directions. Yeah. And there's a... You know, we we talked a little bit before we started, like parents are always kind of evaluating themselves and they may see their child's difficulties as an extension of themselves. And did I not parent this child well? What is wrong with me? Why is this happening to my child? And that's just, um, it must be such an isolating and lonely feeling, just like difficulty upon struggle, upon shame. I mean, all of these things kind of compiling together. So lonely. And there's going to be a whole section of people who are listening who will either be alone at Christmas or their kid won't be with them at Christmas. And they'll feel that awful feeling of we, we are at Thanksgiving. We couldn't get together. We couldn't get together. We're, we're, we feel so broken that we can't even get together. And I think, honestly, sometimes that's part of the process is needing to stay away for Christmas, to kind of individuate. It can be a very concrete way of individuation, not coming home for Thanksgiving. It's not necessarily a a fracture that will never be, you know, mended. It can often be just a, a, a very pivotal point in a child who's becoming an adult saying, I'm, I'm different. I'm not having your ambitions. I'm moving up into adulthood. So I, while I think it's very lonely for the parents, I think it can be really important. It's, it's, I do think it's nice to have a meeting maybe two weeks before, a week after, anything, just to ease it. You know, say, let's go for dinner. I'll, I'll fly in or I'll, I'll meet you or, you know, on some level, try and have a meeting, but not pe- press the point about actual Thanksgiving or actual Christmas Day. Let them individuate. I, I strongly believe that. And I know people were like, oh, no, anything but let them individuate at Christmas or Thanksgiving. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I think it does make a difference. Yeah. And I think it's really hard for parents to distinguish between what the meaning of something is in this context specifically. So, like, of course, as as many of our listeners will know, when a lot of young people suddenly take on a trans identity, even when the parents are trying to accommodate and be supportive and be loving and be warm, sometimes these young people really pull away from the family and estrange themselves. And that's really devastating. And so if you have a young adult child who's in college and you're 
you know, getting some news that they're not coming home or you sense that they're not going to come for the holidays. I think parents are trying to figure out, you know, is this like my other adult child who just like wanted to spend Christmas with his girlfriend and it was no big deal at all. And we really didn't even give it too much of a thought or is this an indicator or a marker of our relationship dissolving? Does this mean something more because of this context? So I, I agree with you. And we talked about that in episode 50 that, you know, it's a normal part of adulthood in Western culture for young adults to start kind of building some of their own traditions. And of course, lots of kids go home from college for the holidays. That's very normal too. But it's it's sometimes really hard to gauge how seriously should I be taking this decision not to come back for Christmas or not to come back for Thanksgiving? Yeah. There's a whole other, you know, crowd who are estranged and who are actually estranged. And there's... Yeah. I do think there's a, a growing number of families who seem to be estranged from their children. It's a sadness now that we're in it some years that we're starting to hear that phrase more often. There's a regular group in the Gender Dysphoria Support Network that we run that is estranged parents, you know what I mean? So the estranged in a way, and I've often like worked with people who, who have difficulties around Christmas for various reasons in a way, or Thanksgiving, I think you have to kind of um, organize the day, decide, you know, to go for a walk, get in touch with nature, kind of have the day kind of organized in slots about what you're going to do, because it can feel like a challenge for the day. And I think it's important that you kind of are very gentle with yourself and also approach it with with purpose. I, I do think you have to give yourself time and also read about estrangement at Christmas. You know, look, look up things about it. Realize that this is a growing phenomenon in this world where people kind of ghost people and they block people. Estrangement seems to be easier done. Now it's so easy to communicate with people all the time. People get estranged easier. And then, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean it's forever, but it can feel like forever at the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess uh, I hadn't even thought about like the the ease with which we have access to people can make distance feel more marked and more stark because it's like, well, we're used to being able to text every day. You don't hear from your child for two days and it feels like they've really disappeared when maybe maybe they have, maybe they haven't. You know, it's really, it's 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 ironic that the more connection and communication we have, the more complicated it is to decipher behaviors and what things mean. And I, I want to raise something that you touched on at the beginning, which is families whose trans-identified adult child is bringing home their partner for the holidays. It's huge. It's so common. Yeah. It seems to be so common that we get emails or requests or whatever about my kid is trans-identified and they're bringing home their trans-identified girlfriend stroke boyfriend and how do I handle it? Because often the parent feels a lot of antagonism towards this partner. This is yeah. generally not a very happy... Um, so now, what's, what's your take on this? Well, I mean, my take on this, there's the strategy piece and then there's the emotional piece. The emotional piece is that this is so excruciatingly hard. 
And it's not dissimilar from parents whose daughter is dating a man they believe is abusive, you know, and Lisa Marciano talks about this very insightfully. You know that if you completely make an ultimatum or cut her off, you are basically acknowledging that the relationship can dissolve completely and you'll have no access to your daughter or your child. And on the other hand, it's excruciating to tolerate the presence of a person who you believe is dangerous for your child. I mean, it's just a, such a difficult position. Um, so I know that it's difficult emotionally, but what I know from studying things like, you know, groups and estrangement and so on and so forth is it's really important actually to keep the thread to your child. And if your child has a very important person in their life, that thread now has to extend to that other person. So I strongly believe, and I've witnessed that, you know, families who want to stay in contact with their child during this relationship should really make an effort to connect. Now, I've also seen that sometimes, and this is especially true for younger teens, but sometimes parents have these initial thoughts or suspicions about the trans partner. And then they meet them and they're like, oh, this is just an innocent, confused child, just like my child. And it's not nearly as threatening and nefarious as they thought at the beginning. Very um, so that happens a lot. Um, but with, with adult children, you know, there's this acknowledgement, this fear that maybe the partner is telling my child to distance herself from us. And there's now this rift. And so it's actually really strategically beneficial if you can build a bridge with the partner so that it maybe the partner is a little bit less likely to say, your parents are terrible transphobic people because they've extended warmth to me and they treated me with respect and we had a good laugh over Turkey or something. I mean, those moments make it less likely for you to be seen as the bad guy or the enemy. Yeah, and if you do extend kindness and warmth, you, you're it won't pass your child by. You know what I mean? It will be noticed. You know, and also if you have boundaries, if they're rude to you, and if you say mm. I won't, have, I won't be spoken to like that, and you leave the room, you know, in a way, you know, you could come back nicely. You know, ten minutes later, you don't have to, you know, create a a, a war over it, but a, a gentle boundary once in a while can be helpful. Some people would say not. Some people would say just suck it up. I would be very reluctant to give advice on any of this because it really depends on the context. But yeah. modelling boundaries can be helpful because sometimes the the child is mortified by the way their partner. We forget that bit, that sometimes the child is utterly mortified yeah. rudely <clears throat> at the partner. And um, there's been a fight between the parent and the partner. So that got lost, but actually it was a piece of gold. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't lose sight of that. That doesn't mean you don't, wouldn't have a boundary, but you might just go outside, take a breath. And I do recommend, I really do. I, I'm very intense about it. Have some time to yourself. Go up to your bedroom, go out to the garden, take some time to just go out, bring a cup of tea or whatever out with you. Even I've heard of people going into the car just to take a breath to ground yourself because sometimes it's so emotionally fraught that you're building and building and building and you're going to spill and it's going to be tears or shouting or some sort of rough behavior or something. 
in a way, take quite a few breaks during the day where you're on your own. Give yourself a pep talk, you know, say, well done. Say, you know, you're handling this well. You know, be gentle with yourself, especially if it's fraught. Take him away so that you can go back in and don't underestimate the power of walking away and coming back. Huge. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think you're so right to bring up this question about boundaries. I've had more than a few conversations with um, families where like the dynamic tends to be mom is very conflict avoidant and people pleasy and is terrified of losing relationship with daughter. Dad is either absent or checked out for whatever reason. And the daughter has a male friend, like not an FTM, but like a literal male boyfriend who's completely unboundaried and is being very rude and demanding to the family. And there's nobody to kind of check that behavior. And these, you know, especially if these are, I mean, it's even if they're older teens, I think the point is there's no respect for the rules of the home. And again, as we see so many times, there's a power issue. There's a power differential problem where a kid is running the show. And in this case, it happens to be the pushy boyfriend coming in from the outside and like calling all the shots or being very demanding or whatever. And so in that case, I would say the strategy is not to buddy up to this child, but to say, you know, if you want to have a relationship with our child, you should understand that you're being very disrespectful and that's not how we talk to each other here. And, you know, a lot of times this outside kid Uh, himself has not had a lot of structure or guidance. And so that's actually beneficial to him. But I've seen more than a few times where there's like the boyfriend has come in and is just being incredibly inappropriate and disrespectful. You're nodding. So I'm I'm hearing that you've you've seen that. And I've not only that, but I've heard the parents just say, I was frozen. I was frozen in the face of it. So hopefully by us bringing it to light, it won't be quite as frozen. One thing is, if there is a partner coming, or if you haven't seen your your child for some time, try to think of all the possibilities rather than the one or two possibilities that you're stuck on. Because we can get Mm -hmm. on a groove and think either this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And honestly, it's going to be one of eight things. Try to think of the different things because being frozen in the moment is really common and just because you're frozen in the moment doesn't mean you can't leave the room walk outside into the garden take a breath and think actually I'm going to go back and say something and you could say sorry something just happened a few minutes ago and I just want to point out don't feel that just because you missed it in the moment that it can never be spoken about again that's nobody's written that anywhere you can just say could we just go back to that point because you said something and I've just been thinking about it and I just want to say and you say what you want to say and you might leave the room then you might just let it go at that but at least you have sometimes very few of us can think on our feet just like that. I know. Yeah. And with the intention of trying to please everybody, our ability by paralysis, by analysis is really reduced to be able to think in the moment. You don't have to. You can say it three hours later. You can say, do you know what? I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no, there's no law that you can't revisit it. So I think sometimes it's important because so many people, and I know we want to talk about this, they're saying, I'm going to see my child. They're an adult. They've got testosterone. They've got hair. Their voice has changed. They've had a mastectomy or whatever. They're, they're really quite different. And I don't know how to make the, these 48 hours that I'm not going to see them again for months and months. And I've got 48 hours with them. 
what do I, how, how do I do it? You know, how do I handle it? And sometimes, the, you know, the parent might want to throw everything they have or the kitchen sink into those 48 hours. It's going to be fun and bonding. And it's going to be an intervention. There's going to be a heart to heart and there's going to be truth and there's going to be laughs and there's going to be entertainment. And it's not actually physically possible. And so sometimes maybe you might say, well, what, what? Remember I said about David Attenborough, like, what does the family need? Rather than what does the child need or what does the mother need or the father, maybe what does this family need can sometimes be the the gentlest way in to those 48 hours. I'd, I'd caution against trying to do it all. Yeah. We'd like to jump in here really quick and offer up a thank you to Genspect, one of our sponsors. Genspect is an international organization that offers a healthy approach to sex and gender. Genspect recently hosted the Bigger Picture Conference in Denver, Colorado. There, they introduced the Gender Framework, a comprehensive, non-medical means of dealing with distress about gender issues. Go to genspect.org to learn more. We'd also like to give a shout out to GETA, Gender Exploratory Therapy Association. If you're looking for a therapist for yourself or your child, check out the GETA directory. And if you're a clinician who is questioning the affirmation model and you're looking for resources and community, please consider joining GETA today. Visit genderexploratory.com to learn more. You know, I'm also now just kind of thinking a little bit about the siblings and how, you know, so many times we hear about um, a trans-identified kid who previously their sibling was getting like a lot of attention for one thing or another, whether it's positive or because of a health issue or whatever. And so now all of a sudden for many years, maybe all the attention of the family has been focused on the trans-identified kid. And that's hard for the sibling. So I think your question about what does this family need is really relevant during the holidays because everybody matters and everybody's having an experience and the siblings themselves are likely having some sort of reaction to the trans identity of their sibling. And, you know, what does the family need is a very valuable question. Yeah. Yeah. I think the siblings can feel very resentful. We've said it often, you know what I mean? But they can feel some of them are real allies and they feel resentful towards the parents. Some of them are real allies of the parents and resentful towards the trans identified teenager. It is the almost the trickiest position. And some um, sometimes there can be a lot of innocence at Christmas and Thanksgiving. There's a lot of joy and sweetness and, you know, there's younger mm-hmm. members of the family. And it can feel like the the trans identified person is bringing a heavy weight into a, 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 a loving family home. And you can feel very resentful that if it wasn't for this trans, we we would all be we would all be laughing and joking and, you know, pulling Christmas crackers. We can over nostalgize about how good it would be when honestly, you know, most families were just ticking along. There's going to be rows with most families, I think. The more we yeah. the better. Yeah. There was, there was there's one thing I think we do need to kind of touch on before we finish is the intervention versus bonding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um because a lot of people see it almost as I'm going for one or the other. I'm either going to go for an intervention with the kid or bonding. I'd nearly say which is the one you're most comfortable with, go for the other. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because if you're always intervening, it's probably lost its power. 
if you're always bonding, it's probably lost its power. Maybe not. You know, maybe I'm being a little bit glib. But I no, don't get that. Yeah, I do think we get into grooves. We get into this real patterned communication with our with our children. And we fall into the same kind of railroad that we always go in. I I, I do think there is merit. So many parents have written to me with very definite contexts. And you think, I can see why they want to do an intervention. I can see why. The kid is going mm-hmm. to get a mastectomy. This is the opportunity. And I truly believe that parents should say what they need to say before an irreversible surgery has taken place. I, I do think that that matters, whether or not it helps the relationship or helps the child or not. I, I think it matters to the soul. I don't want to be yeah. religious, but to the kind of psyche of the of the parent and to, to let them sleep at night, that they, they tried their best. They tried to reach them. Didn't work, yeah. but they tried. Yeah. And I mean, I think I mentioned, I spoke with a family recently who's going to have a big kind of family conversation. And it's interesting because, you know, the, the word intervention gives me this very visceral reaction that is probably a bad idea. But I think framing it a little bit differently or thinking about it a little bit differently is really interesting. So like in this case, they decided like as a family to read a book um, together and they're each going to read it before they come together and they're going to have a discussion about it. And it's there's the book by Tim Urban. It's called What's the Problem with Everything or something along those lines. It's kind of an illustrated funny-ish book that talks about society and why we're so polarized right now. And he uses all kinds of like metaphors and analogies and like little stick figures and things like that. So it's a really interesting book. Let me, let me look it up while I'm talking. It's called what's our problem, a self-help book for societies. So um, actually our podcast producer is the one who told me about this book. So it's, uh, it's been making the rounds. I've heard about it from a couple of other parents, but you know, they're going to talk about the book and then they're also going to, the parents are going to kind of share some of the patterns and, and acknowledge some of the difficulties that they have had. And they're going to start out just saying like, this is an opportunity for our family to talk about a lot of things that haven't been said that are really important to our relationships. So they're not framing it as like a, we need to talk about this mastectomy. They're framing it as, as a family, we love each other so much, but there's a lot of stuff that's been going on that we haven't really addressed and I, I just really love the framing of that. And I can imagine there are lots of different versions of, you know, similar conversations that parents may want to have because, you know, this trans identity usually does emerge in the context of many other difficulties in a young person's life and their mental health and their social life. And maybe the family's got stuff going on. So it's never a completely isolated incident. And even though we talk a lot on this show about, influence and the online stuff you can't just blame that you have to look at everything as kind of like wheel gears inside a clock like everything moves everything else and so what were the pieces that were moving around the time that this started what pieces have we been moving what about the siblings so you know having some truthful conversations about difficult things can be an important thing that you you might do during the holidays yeah, I think um, I think that's a really good point. And I think a lot of parents talk 
and mentioned to me about, you know, it's not just gender, it's just woke in general. We can't talk about so many things. We can't talk about the elections. We can't talk about Israel-Palestine. We can't talk about, you know, uh, college politics. There's so many things we can't talk about. And I think there's no harm in breaking a little bit of that, like just kind of saying, well, I think we could talk about it. We just would need to agree to disagree. I think the parents buy into we can't talk about. And just because the child gets upset and says you're all bigots and runs upstairs doesn't mean that it wasn't a good idea to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it just doesn't necessarily follow if, if somebody says it. Now, other people would disagree with me, but I, I just think it's colluding if you continuously let yourself be self, self-censored like that. Yeah, what you just said totally resonates with me because often I'll, I'll talk with parents and in consults and they'll say, we had a conversation and it was a disaster. And I'll say, wait, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute. What happened? You know? Yeah. And, and sometimes they'll say, oh, well, I heard what you said and I kind of went with it and it was a complete disaster. And I'm then they tell me it and I'm like, oh, that's very rich. That's not a disaster at all. Yes, mm-hmm. there was conflict, but that was not a disaster. This was actually a really important moment. So conflict doesn't equal a disaster. Is that where you were going? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, something that I think a lot about is how many of these kids are historically kind of compliant and maybe they've never had to be told no about anything before. And then all of a sudden parents are pushing back about an idea and the kid cannot tolerate it. And that doesn't mean that's a disaster. What that means is as a family, we need to continue practicing the act of disagreement, the yeah. act of setting that's boundaries, the that's act of saying no to my child, yes. the act of telling my child what I really think. Yeah. 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 And it, it might be about, you know, COVID. It could be about anything. But that you just say, uh, you know, you, you, you know that the child is getting all fretty and all social justice and your, your instinct is to close up and, and just say, yes, dear, no, dear, three bags full, dear. And actually what's needed could be, I don't really agree with you, but I can see that you feel very strongly about it. And you leave yeah. it at that. You know, you just yeah. let that land. And they could go, ah, and that's not necessarily a disaster. You've said your piece. You've said it in a nice way. They've got very upset. Maybe that's what they needed. Maybe that's what was needed. No more. So I guess what we're saying is, you know, there's no, there's no formula for like what a success or a non-success is, you know, in the realm of relationships and unfolding sense of character and personality for a young person, conflict is a part of it. I mean, I, Interestingly, that's what we say about everything. Like, you know, distress during puberty, that can be a part of it. And ups and downs during adolescence, that can be a part of it. And it also in the context of a family relationship, some friction and conflict can be a part of it, but it doesn't mean that you may not the next day be warm and snugly eating pancakes by the fire. Like these are all compatible things to happen um, in, in a span of time, you know? So be patient with yourselves. Yeah, and especially around the holidays, be aware people lose it. And it doesn't mean the whole thing is ruined. It means somebody's lost it. And you can yeah. just go and lick your wounds and say, yeah, I lost it. It all got on top of me. I was too intense. Sorry about that. And roll on. 
rather than thinking that's it the end (laughs) you know give yourself room to be that little bit more intense and be self-forgiving of yourself and others when it gets because there's a lot of pressure on these holidays yeah and if you're still listening and you're wondering about the kind of conversations around the table that may come up around gender i would just like to encourage you to join our listener community because our dinner party conversations series is all about that you know how do we talk with uh friends and loved ones and relatives and neighbors about gender in a way that is um you know informative and as non-confrontational as possible and i know sometimes it's hard but there are lots of ideas there. So check out our dinner party conversations if you are curious about that. And um, I guess this will be a good place for us to sign off. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. As they say. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.